That's the shit I live for. The cha. Yeah. 1987 was a good year, man. This was my first, um, what do you call it? Um, my first 12-inch record that I ever bought. It's funny how, how you remember music like that. I remember my first cassette was Marvin Gaye's Greatest Hits. It's the first piece of music I ever owned in my life, and that says a lot. And then the first 12-inch vinyl was Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle. I remember, like it was yesterday, man, 1987, my cousin Ariel, uh, if you're listening, I love you, brother, I miss you, down in Texas, Texarkana. No, I'm kidding, he's in Austin. We uh, we started, you know, your kids, you start to get into music. 87, I was, what, 12 and he's, I think, two years younger than me, so he's 10. So, you know, we're finding our identity. We're liking different kind of music. This shit was on MTV, heavy, heavy rotation. It was on, like, every three minutes, you know. And it brings back a lot of good memories. And it's also one of the key intros to the film we're going to review today. The fourth installment and the sixth appearance of none other than the mighty Thor. So we are going to review today Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, it's been out for about two weeks now, I think. So I'm, I'm sure that uh, you guys have seen it. So this will be a spoiler-filled episode. I hope the intro didn't like, blow out your ear, your car speaker. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about that film. And kind of Thor's uh, evolution throughout the MCU. And actually, even before that, there was a time for you guys who used to watch the Incredible Hulk TV show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno that I've mentioned before that I have a huge place in my heart for. They After they stopped the show, they canceled the show, I can't remember. I think it was like three seasons in. In the 80s, in the mid to late 80s, they used to do television movies about the Incredible Hulk. And one of them was... The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. And this was actually legitimately the first time Thor and Daredevil would make an appearance in live action form. Oh, man, they really didn't have any money in the 80s because these guys, I mean, Daredevil, in all fairness, looked good. Daredevil pretty much looked like his Netflix counterpart because he was all dressed in black. He didn't have that, you know, the, the, the blood red suit or anything like that. So he did okay. The guy who played Thor, holy shit, man. That was rough to watch, even as a kid. But we were grateful back then. You know, we we were grateful. Even if it was terrible, you know, we're like, wow, at least we got to see Thor. His hammer looked like that shit belonged to your super Miguel, who, <laughs> you know, who comes to fix shit late, but he comes. I mean, it was literally like a, like a little Home Depot sledgehammer. God, it was horrible. So, again, you know, we thanked our, uh, our lucky stars, but... Thor, um, honestly, a character that I respect a lot. Not necessarily one of my favorites. In the MCU films, he did become a favorite, but I kind of feel even now that they that they I, they just kind of went in a different way with him. I always, when I was a kid and I read Thor, you know, he was very much the god of thunder. He was, at some points, he was funny, but he was very much a warrior, and he was a force to be reckoned with. He was incredibly powerful. He was the god of, you know, lightning and thunder, and, you know, he wielded Mjolnir. That's what, you know, the name of the ha hammer is. He's a, he's a Nordic god, so Mjolnir took me about 20 years to try to pronounce because the spelling is like M-J-L-O-N-R-I. When I was a kid, I tried. And I was like, fuck this. It's Thor's hammer. And that's what I'm going to call it because I couldn't even pronounce it. But it is Mjolnir. Um, and he just kind of did his thing. He looked a little hokey. You know, he wore a silver helmet with little wings on it and had this big red cape. And, you know, was drawn fantastically by um, 
Jack Kirby in those times. And in the event comic books back in the 80s, such as The Secret Wars, um, he was definitely a force to be reckoned with. And he was an elemental character in the Avengers and so on. Um, ironically, one of my brother Victor's favorite characters. Now, my older brother Victor's, I've said this time and again, he wasn't really for heroes. My brother always enjoyed the villains much more. He thought they were much more interesting. Dr. Doom, Magneto, you know, he, he kind of respected their power and their intellect and, you know, the, the damage that they could cause. But out of heroes, two that my brother thoroughly enjoyed, actually three, was the Hulk. He loved the Hulk. He actually owned Hulk comics. Thor, Daredevil he got into, but then I think that was the last like comic book he would read. And then he got married and, you know, life took over. But Daredevil, I remember he liked a lot because it was very graphic and it was very real. He didn't like the fantasy aspect of it too much. And last but not least, Thor. He liked Thor so much that my brother, and he still loves it to this day, he, he kept reading when they gave it when they gave the, the hammer to a new character called Beta Ray Bill, which I'm hoping to see in one of the movies one of these days. Beta Ray Bill, he looks like this half eagle, half horse. But he's awesome. And he was the one who actually had Stormbreaker, not Thor in the comics. So the films kind of tweaked it out a little bit. But be that as it may, you know, Secret Wars, Infinity Gauntlet, those major kind of epic comic book moments, you would find him. You would always find him as a founding uh, member of the Avengers. So I remember in Marvel Phase 1, after Iron Man, that pretty much set it off. This was back in 2008. The MCU had not been established. It was just Marvel Studios. Disney did not acquire Marvel at that time. So it was still very much kind of going by a very formulated plan. You know, we're going to do these movies one by one. Who would have ever thought that Disney would have bought it? And because of them buying it, this is what it's come into. Um, But Iron Man was first. I think Captain America was second. And ultimately Thor would be third. Iron Man, I enjoyed immensely. I thought they hit it out of the park. And it was a rough time because I remember Iron Man came out, if I'm not mistaken, at the same time as The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger, for those of you who remember, he died before The Dark Knight could be released. So Iron Man was going up some serious competition. It, you know, if it was not critically received well, it would have been buried immediately. But it did. It did incredibly well. Captain America followed, um, as I've said before, my favorite trilogy, but, you know, the one, I don't want to say I liked the least, but it was okay, was the first Captain America film. I thought it was all right. Ultimately, I would fall in love with that trilogy with the three movies that they did, and he is my favorite MCU character to date in terms of the movies. I just, I love what they did with the character. So, with Thor, I was a little apprehensive with the first film because... It was tricky. You know, I'm like, how is he going to look? Is he going to have the big red cape? Like, you know, how are they going to make the hammer look? You know, they got an unknown actor at the time named Chris Hemsworth. You know, Kenneth Branagh directed it. Kenneth Branagh is a well-known and respected British actor. He is also uh, one of the Harry Potter movies. Um, As much as I like Harry Potter, I'm not so familiar with the characters, but he's... um, I think he's in Prisoner of Azkaban and he plays that professor that's kind of very vain and very arrogant who thinks he knows it all. But, you know, ultimately, by the end of the movies, he doesn't know shit. and He's afraid of his own shadow. And he played that character very well. So when I heard that Kenneth Branagh was going to direct the first Thor, I was like, oh, all right, you know, not bad. Then he did something very smart and he pressed to have. Tony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Academy Award winning actor, um, The Elephant Man, Silence of the Lambs, The the Mark of Zorro, an incredibly well-respected actor to play Odin. Then I got excited because this was kind of reminding me of the process they went through for Superman. 
you know, you're going to, all right, wow, you're going to make a movie about a, a comic book strip. But then Marlon Brando says on to play Jarrell. And then Mario Puzo, who had just come off writing The Godfather and all of that fame, that was the second thing he did was Superman. And to this day, it still holds up and is the greatest superhero movie of all time. Hands down. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. Moving on. So when they did that, I was excited because I love Anthony Hopkins. I think he's great. And I, you know, I could only imagine what he would do with Odin, given that he's a Shakespearean actor. He's a British actor, classically trained. So I'm like, he's going to bring weight to it. You know, I'm thinking like Alec Guinness bringing weight to Obi-Wan, to all these films that were projected failures or whatever be the case. My one thing with Thor back then was <laughs> He-Man, right? He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. They made an, a live-action Masters of the Universe film back in 86, 87. And it starred Dolph Lundgren, the big Russian from Rocky IV. Have you ever saw Rocky IV? He's been in the Expendables movies. I know he's done that. He was also in Aquaman. He played... Um, Mira's father. So he's still working, you know, and rightly so. He's not a bad actor. He just hasn't done anything to really stand out. Beautiful specimen to look at. I mean, in Rocky IV, the guy was fucking gorgeous. Tall, strong, blonde hair, blue eyes. I don't know too many blonde hair, blue eyed Russians. He looked more German than anything, but okay. But, you know, for whatever limited dialogue he did have, you know, he was very imposing. So coming off of that, they made him He-Man. And they made Skeletor was a well-known actor named Frank Langella. Frank Langella was known for playing Dracula on Broadway back in the 70s and 80s. And they actually made that into a movie, Dracula. So he's also a really great actor. But they just didn't have enough money. And as you watch the movie, as I see the movie now as an adult, I watched it recently because I had nothing else better to do. Masters of the Universe suffered a lot. A lot. You could tell, like, in the middle of the movie where it just becomes totally ridiculous and they just focus on dialogue. And the action sequence is in the very beginning, a little bit in the middle, and all in the end. So that usually means no budget or lack thereof. So for some reason, when I heard that Thor was coming out, my greatest fear was that this was going to be a Masters of the Universe kind of deal. Nobody really asked for a Thor movie. Um, it would be kind of cool. You know, you do have some hardcore Thor fans out there. And I'm, I I mean, no disrespect. You know, it's it just I don't remember the clamoring for it. You know, and if it was going to be done, do it right. I did not know who Chris Hemsworth was. You know, there wasn't really talk of who would be Thor. You know, Iron Man, it was... Tom Cruise, everybody up and down. Tom Cruise is going to be Tony Stark. Isn't that Captain America? I don't think they really had somebody in mind for Captain America, but Chris Evans took it and it's his forever, you know. So Thor, Chris Hemsworth. All right, let's see what this dude is about. I remember I went opening week to see it and much to my absolute pleasure, I loved it. It was simple, quick effective and they respected the property and when you do that i say it i will say it with my last breath when you respect the property you cannot fail no matter what your endeavor is whether it's music art ballet when you're taking something from from someone from people who have created it and you're going to make it your own you better fucking respect it if not it will fail i've seen it time and again and I don't want to sound like an authority on it, but I've just seen it too many times to be true. With Thor, everything from his hammer, and I give it to Chris Hemsworth. There, what my favorite scene in the first Thor film is when Odin strips him of his power, when he takes his power away from him, because he tells him he's not fit to be king. The movie begins, and Thor is, I think, is at coronation day, or whatever, whatever it's called, and he's going to be named king because Odin is passing the crown. But then Thor shows that he's too impulsive, he's too immature. So kind of as a test, Odin takes his power, banishes him to Earth, and that's where our movie begins. One of the best 
I'm thinking about it now and I love it so much because it's so simple and it's not overdone with the exception of this like growl that Anthony Hopkins gave Loki, uh, who's played by Tom Hiddleston. Unbelievable. I want Tom Hiddleston to either be the Joker or be involved in a Batman movie in some way because this guy, is, he's just too good, too good as a person of mischief and as a villain. He's hes a hell of an actor doing it. He was on He was in like the Godzilla Island movie or the Kong Island, whatever. He was okay in that, but as Loki, he does very well, and I want him to have more to work with. He deserves it. But Anthony Hopkins, I remember, as he's about to tear into Thor, Loki's like, you know, but father. And Anthony Hopkins turns around and he goes, literally, he does that. And I'm like, why is he growling at his son? Like, what kind of shit is that? Like, why would you growl at your son? Whatever. But then the exchange between Chris Hemsworth and Tony Hopkins is just absolutely beautiful. And you see Tony Hopkins tell him, he goes, you know, he goes, you're not worthy of this armor. He goes, I, sh- I take from you your power. And you see, he fucking takes the hammer right back. Now, remember, nobody can lift that hammer unless they're Thor. So clearly Odin is is beyond that power. And he just takes that shit back. He goes, I strip you of, you know, your your armor and, and your regalness or whatever he says. And he goes, and I cast you out. And he throws him into, um, what is it thing that, uh, the bridge, I guess. No, not the bridge. The rainbow bridge is something different. He throws him into this vortex. Name escapes me. Um, the thing that handled, which is played by Idris Elba. That he constant, constantly opens up. It'll come to me by the end of the show. Watch me scream it out like a fucking idiot. Like I always do. But anyway. You know he goes through it. And then the part that just. It still makes my hair stand on end. Is when he whispers into the hammer. Let he who hold this hammer. Let he who holds this hammer. If he is worthy. Shall possess the power of Thor. Then he throws the hammer into the vortex. Right behind Thor. And they come to earth. And they land separately. Movie was a lot of fun. Again, it I you know when I walked out of it, I, I remember saying it had no business being this good, and it really didn't. I expected it to be okay at best, but I just loved it because they did it right. Was it a great movie? Was it an unbelievable movie? Not necessarily, but they just did it right, and that won my affection towards the film. Thor: The Dark World, the second one, was fun for what it was. It was definitely a Marvel Phase Two, I think, filler movie. So I didn't expect much. And you have to understand that not all of these Marvel films are going to be great. And if they are, then it just it's a testament to the product and to what Disney does. And a lot of them have hit the mark, either bullseye or very, very close. Some like Captain Marvel, which is not necessarily my favorite. The sequels to Iron Man are. I, I, I don't bother. I mean, it just they should have been so much better. But then, as I always say, Iron Man, where his sequels were, weren't, to me, the best. In Captain America Civil War, he was amazing. And in The Avengers, he knocks it out of the park. So, Thor, The Dark World, I still enjoy it. If it's on, I'll watch it. But, it again, it was a filler movie. You know, it's very dramatic things happen. You know, Thor loses his mom. They, they talk about the ether, which turns out to be an infinity element, an infinity stone. So, it's progressing. Then we go to the Avenger films where Thor was fantastic. Um, the first one was phenomenal. The fight between him and Hulk in the first one is still my favorite. Still, my I still laugh at that. Like, hearty laugh. Then Avengers Age of Ultron was good, but Thor was kind of in and out of it. He, I, don't, I, I don't feel he was in as much. There's a hilarious scene in it where they try to lift Thor's hammer at a party and it's like a total gag, but it worked and it was funny as hell. Age of Ultron is actually my nephew uh, Vic's favorite movie or favorite Avenger film, if I'm not mistaken. Then we come into Ragnarok and this is where things change drastically for Thor. It got a, it got very lighthearted. It got... Interesting, um, Kate Blanchett, who I love, who I think, and she looked so good in this movie with black hair. She plays Hela, who is Thor's sister, and she reveals that apparently Odin wasn't always a benevolent uh, god, or he wasn't a king, or a benevolent king. 
he was in fact a ruler and he went through a period where he killed and he conquered so that, i thought that was a very interesting dynamic i wish they would have stuck on that a bit more they did not be that as it may uh taika waikiki or <laughs> i know i'm butchering his name taika if you're listening buddy i'm gonna get it right i'm actually gonna look it up for you right now because you deserve that uh taika watiti waititi who I do love. His name is a little tricky. I can't help it. He's done a lot of great stuff. He was actually in Green Lantern. Yes, with Ryan Reynolds. Check that shit out. He plays Ryan Reynolds' friend. And he's sitting on a sofa. When Ryan Reynolds shows him the shoot, he's like, oh, man. He's in it. And look at him now. Fucking Thor. He's been in The Mandalorian. He's directed episodes of The Mandalorian. And I think Book of Boba Fett. Um, he did the voice of IG-88, I think. In the Mandalorian, which is a tall, skinny robot that, you know, kind of turns his head all the way around. So good for him. Um, and Ragnarok was fun. It definitely was more comedic than I ever expected it to be. And that kind of... I was open to it, but I was like, eh, this is not the Thor that I know. Now, there were flashes of brilliance, and you definitely got to see Thor fight as Thor... I wasn't crazy with how they portrayed the Hulk in this movie. Um, he was very much more like a man-child. And, you know, it. I, I wasn't a fan of the way they portrayed Hulk in this or in the uh, Avengers Infinity movies. And I'll explain why. But Ragnarok was, was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was very different. It took a different tone, a lot more comedic, a lot more lighthearted. Um, but the one theme that endured was that Thor is very much like Peter Parker. He loses. He just keeps losing. He loses a lot. But he keeps going because he has a huge heart. And that's what I love about the MCU character. Now, not the comic book character, but the MCU character. So, you know, in Ragnarok, he fights his sister. He loses an eye. Like, shit's really going rough for this dude. And ultimately, he loses his kingdom. Ragnarok means the end of all things in Nordic, I believe. Or Norse. Um, so at the end of that film, you know, he gets his people on this huge spaceship and the end of that movie is the beginning of Avengers Infinity War. Now we go back to the Thor that I love because he's lost. They link him up with Guardians of the Galaxy, which now makes sense because they're also adventurous and lighthearted and comedic. So now that they've taken this turn with Thor, it makes sense that they would link the two. Um... This this was Thor for me. You know, he goes and he builds Stormbreaker. That whole sequence I love. I loved when he opened the star uh, and Peter Dinklage paid, played like the dwarf giant. All of this shit is just brilliant sci-fi comic book. I mean, the Russo brothers, you can't... These guys are, are geniuses. But, you know, you see him open the star and then he collapses and, you know... They made they forge the axe, but it doesn't have a handle. So Groot drops his arm and he takes a branch and he makes a handle. Shit is beautiful. Then everything shifts and they're fighting on Wakanda. And then you see Thor arrive and he lays it down. He lays it down and he wants Thanos badly. And this is the Thor that I know, the warrior. The movie ends. It was breathtaking. I remember people in the theater to this day going, what is going on? I remember this one guy three seats behind me going, what the fuck? When it just ended, it was bad. People walked out slightly emotionally drained from Infinity War. I shit you not. I remember I went with me and the boys and Alex. And people were just verbally spent. And not verbally, but emotionally spent. They couldn't believe the ending. People just disappeared. So then you have Endgame and Thor comes back. And again, where they did right by him, and in the very beginning, he just takes Thanos' head right the fuck off. He was going there for a purpose, and after he did it, he walked out. But he still felt loss. So then they decide to make it a little hokey, and they make him gain weight. I've gone through those, you know, troubles myself, where I've been a god, and I look like an Adonis, and then, you know, I gain a little weight. Shit happens, man, you know? Work late hours, what do you want? But anyway, 
I digress. You know, they make him look like this big Lebowski character, but at the end of that film, which to date holds the most epic battle ever witnessed, I honestly want to say that it matches and closely rivals all of the three Lord of the Rings fights that last endgame battle. And listen, if you believe differently, then reach out and let's talk about it. But that endgame battle was some shit. So at the end of that film, you know, and he showed up, and I love it because one of the things I love is that Thor, after all the destruction when Thanos arrives, Thor is just standing on a cliff looking like the big Lebowski, and he's just looking dead at Thanos. And Thanos is just sitting across from him about 150 feet. Tony Stark and Captain America is like, what is he doing? And Thor says, absolutely nothing. And they talk, and, you know, they're like, all right, well, we got to figure out how to get him. And Thor says, you know this is a trap, right? To which Tony Stark says, yeah, and I really don't much, I pretty much don't care. And Thor says, as long as we understand each other. And he reaches out and he gets both hammers and he becomes Thor. Awesome, emotional, you know, very, very emotional. One of the greatest, probably the greatest Marvel movie made to date. Um, And the movie ends with him taking off with the Guardians of the Galaxy now. That we've covered all that love and thunder. So this film begins with the ever, oh, and I cannot stress this enough, the ever, 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 ever impressive Christian Bale. This guy just gets better with age, man. He really does. Christian Bale is wandering in a vast wasteland in a desert with his daughter, Um, You could tell that the sun has been beating on his skin. He has blisters and is scabbing. And his daughter is dying of malnutrition. And he's praying to his God. You know, please save us. You know, help me save her. Whatever the case. The little girl ends up, you know, succumbing to thirst and and hunger. And he buries her uh, in the desert. And it's, you know, in that little bit, you could see the emotion between them. So as he wanders through the desert. He comes across what appears to be a mirage. And lo and behold, the God that he worshipped presents himself. But he turns out to be a very vain, crass, and narcissistic God. And he laughs on Christian Bale. And Christian Bale is like, you know, but we believed in you. Our people believed in you. I believe in you. You know, please. And the God is having none of it. He's like, you're the last, you know survivor you know you don't mean anything he's like the next generation of believers are what matter whatever the case and the god says you know as we've killed this individual and christian bale looks behind him and there's like this demon that had a black blade and he said he he tried to kill me and i will do the same with you whatever the case he grabs christian bale picks him up starts to choke him that black blade all of a sudden becomes alive and it chooses christian bale Christian Bale impales a dude in the neck and he becomes one of the most interesting villains I've ever seen so far in a Marvel movie, Gore the God Butcher. To say that Christian Bale looks unbelievable in this movie is an understatement. To say that how he played it is even more of an understatement. He is actually one of the very best parts in this movie. The movie jumps forward slightly and it shows what Thor has been up to. Apparently Thor has lost weight, which is, you know, again, the comedy kick. He's like, you know, instead of doing the ropes at the gym, he's like doing these humongous chains in a huge cave. You know, he's pulling a spaceship, you know, he's getting back into shape. And it's uh, narrated by Taika Watiki's character, uh, the rock guy, not Meek, the, uh, the rock character. I can't remember his name. So... It kind of shows how Thor is longing for something different. It's kind of hilarious because he looks like a Buddhist monk, you know, and he doesn't engage violence or, or battle unless he's called upon, unless somebody needs him. So the Guardians of the Galaxy need him. He gets revved up. When he shows up, he's wearing like a no sleeve leather jacket. And the intro to the battle is none other than Welcome to the Jungle. Story progresses. Thor decides that the Guardians are better off without him. Meanwhile, they've been trying to boot this dude since <laughs> Avengers Endgame. And he's making it he's making it seem like, no, 
you'll do so much better without me. And everybody's like, guys, get your shit. Let's go. We got to go. <laughs> so, you know, the comedy does work in quite a few parts. It's just the excess of it where you're like, you know, like the forced gags that are distracting in what is otherwise an entertaining movie. On a side note, Jane Foster played by Natalie Portman, who was in the very first film. And I love Natalie Portman. Fantastic actress. I loved her since her first film, The Professional, with uh, a French actor named Leon. If you guys have never seen The Professional, probably one of my top, definitely in my top 20 films of all time. Of all time. I really enjoyed it. It was incredibly done. She, I think she's 11 or 12 in that movie. So Natalie Portman's been acting for quite some time. Little did I know I would be looking at Anakin Skywalker's wife, Luke and Leah's mother, you know what I mean, when I saw her back then. But um, she plays Dr. Jane Foster in the first film. In the second film, you don't really see her in Ragnarok. And she's not to be found in any of the Avengers movies. So she comes back, and it turns out that she has cancer. She has stage four cancer. So she's trying to figure out a way to beat it. You know, her science is pretty much she wrote she she writes a book or something explaining how, you know, time and space meet and how, you know, wormholes connect and shit like that. You know, with everything she's experienced with Thor, she was able to, you know, become very successful with that. But she's dying. Something happens that she, the hammer pretty much calls out to Jane Mjolnir, the broken hammer. And if you see the film, you know why it's shattered. So she goes to what is called New Valhalla. That's done in the Endgame movies. Like all the remaining survivors of Ragnarok, I think, go to Iceland or something like that. And they live on the edge of a river or, or a lake. And they call it you know, what is it, New, what stores, Homeworld, New Valhalla, or no, not Valhalla, uh, fuck, the, the name escapes me, but it's that, it's a, it's a new representation of their old world, so she goes there, and Mjolnir's kind of hidden display, and it's like a tourist attraction now, it's, uh, so again, very, very hokey stuff, right? It's a tourist attraction. You see cruise ships coming into it. It's a sense of disbelief. And again, some uh, a situation where the gags feel forced. But this plot point is very distinct because the hammer calls to her and it actually comes together for her. So she now becomes the mighty Thor. And this is something that actually happened in the comic books. Jane Foster became Thor for a period of time. I don't necessarily remember the circumstances of it, but she did become Thor for a small period of time. So they play on that. And they did it really well. Like they even went as far out as to give her the helmet, like in the comic book that comes halfway down her face. Good shit. And when she like moves, she looks incredible. So then she makes her appearance when Gore the God Butcher comes to steal the children of this town and again Christian Bale man he kind of he's like a monster in the shadows and the way Taika filmed him was incredibly well done because he's like colorless like he has no life and there's a whole segment of the movie about 15 minutes worth that they fight on this moon and it's all black and white the only thing that has color, I think, is Thor's cape and uh, Gore the God Butcher's eyes. And it's so fucking freaky. But it is absolutely beautiful. It looks so good. So Gore comes to steal these children. And then Jane Foster shows up as Thor. And, you know, they kind of fight and whatever the case. Christian Bale's character steals children. He kidnaps them. He's off. So now Thor and Jane and um, uh, Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson, the lovely Tessa Thompson, who I absolutely love. She's in it as well because she's like the mayor of this town. So they go off on an adventure, right? And it brings them to seek out Zeus, the, the god. 
Zeus is played <laughs> by Russell Crowe, which was hilarious. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, Zeus is a Roman god. So, fucking Russell Crowe is a clown. Russell Crowe speaks with an Italian accent. He's like, I'm so happy to see you here all today again. Uh, we're going to discuss when the next the orgy is going to take place. And I'm like, yo, they're saying orgy in a Disney movie. They need to chill. But he was, I found it hilarious. Um, a little over the top. I'm not going to lie. Um, he like does this performance with a lightning bolt. It just kind of dragged the movie out, but it's for total gags. I mean, they rip off Chris, Chris Hemsworth clothes, so you get to see a clear shot of his ass. For those of you who want to see Chris Hemsworth backside, have at thee. They show it full form. Um, guy's in ridiculous shape. You got to give it to him. He is just in ridiculous shape. Um, and he steals Zeus's lightning bolt, I think, because he needs something that can kill Gore the God Butcher. One of those, you know, one of those plot technicalities. So he sees Zeus. He kind of hurts Zeus. He takes the bolt and he breaks out. And there's also these two screaming goats, and they scream. Their wail is something that is just spine tingling. This shit is, it's hilarious the first two times, but after like the the fifty ninth time, you're like, all right, with these goats already. So once they get to this world that I had mentioned that is devoid of color and like life, and it's like a shadow world where Gore the God Butcher, like this is his realm. Then the movie picks up. You're like, okay, now we're back in this. And it's one of the best sequences of the film. And this is where you see Christian Bale shine. And he's so good as a villain. I mean, any actor will tell you, playing the villain is the best. Because they're over the top. They get away with all this shit. And it makes me think, as I was watching this. Because there are times that he kind of looks like Anakin Skywalker. He's bald and he has like these yellow reddish eyes, you know, like from... Star Wars, right? But I'm like, imagine Christian Bale as the Joker. Hot take, right? See this movie and let me know what you think. As like a multiverse version of the Joker. That shit will be sick. Because he really played this character incredibly well. So they go to this world. And they try to defeat him. He ends up taking Stormbreaker, which is what he wants. Because it's going to help him open a porthole to get to eternity. Which is another kind of celestial being in the Marvel Universe that grants like a wish or everlasting life or something along those lines. And in the battle, Natalie Portman begins to get worse. The hammer is not curing her. It's only holding off the cancer. So Thor takes her to a hospital. He says, listen, I have to do this on my own. And she's like, listen, I'm on my way out. If I'm going to go, I want to help you. I want to die. You know, I want to die on my feet. I don't want to die in a bed, in a hospital bed. You know, he's like, but I love you. If there's a chance that, you know, we could finally be together. And this is where the romance kicks in. And it works for all intents and purposes. And then he takes off to find Gore the God Butcher and to save the kids. Now. Kids in movies. Historically, I'm not a fan. Whenever you put a kid in a movie or a kid sidekick or anything like that, like Iron Man 3 is a perfect example of it. This little kid who like Tony Stark ran into because he needed help building something total waste. So I'm kind of weary. You know, Robin from the Batman and Robin movies, even though in Batman Forever he was okay. But I'm, you know, I don't know. Right? So in this scene, Thor has to rescue a bunch of little kids and he's going up against score. So he tells these kids, listen, he goes, I, I need you to be strong. He goes, and I need you to fight. And I'm like, here we go. So then <laughs> Thor says, I'm going to endow you for one time only with my powers. He's like, and I want you to fight because Gore has these creatures that he sends out, right? Like these lizard looking shadows. And he takes his lightning bolt and you start hearing again Guns N' Roses play. And the lightning goes through all of these children. Now you have kids who are about 
13, you have kids who are about seven years old. You have a little girl that's dressed in a tutu with a fairy wand. You have a little boy who looks like a wolf. These are children from, you know, all over the galaxy. <laughs> and, you know, you see their eyes light up with lightning and shit. And he turns around and he's like, charge. And all of a sudden, these little kids start going after these creatures. <laughs> Easily... The absolute best part of the movie is when these little kids are going ham on these fucking shadow creatures. They're like, you know, they're grabbing these makeshift weapons. One little girl with this curly hairdo has a bunny rabbit doll, right? And she's holding that shit up straight out and she's screaming, ah, and the little rabbit is shooting lightning out of his eyes, destroying these creatures. I died. I don't know why I found that shit so funny, but I'm like, finally, a brilliant use for kids in an action movie. It makes sense. This was really good. Then they show a little girl like skipping along with this princess outfit. She has a little wand and she bashes the shit out of one of the monsters with it. And I'm like, they get it. They clearly got it. And was also was pretty cool was uh, Handel, Idris Elba. Apparently he has a son. Um... And his son, his name is Axel, or he chooses Axel because he loves Guns N' Roses. Um, he's kind of fighting at Thor's side, which is really cool. New Asgard. New Asgard is the name of the city where they live now. Jesus, it would come to me eventually. So he lived on New Asgard with all the other little kids when they were kidnapped and brought to the Shadow Realm. As they're fighting, Natalie Portman is laying in bed and the hammer presents itself to her and it's just in midair trembling like, let's go, let's go. She grabs it. She meets Thor where he is. She goes directly to where he is to help him fight. Ultimately, it takes a lot out of her. Christian Bale's character is able to open the porthole and go through it to ask Eternity to bring him his daughter back you know all this damage that he has done just to bring his daughter back and at this point you see natalie portman is succumbing to her her illness to her cancer and thor just looks at him and he tells him you know what you've won he's like go ahead make your wish you've won and he walks over to natalie portman and he holds her and he caresses her and he says his goodbye you know and he he tells her, I wish there was more time. You know, all that, all those things you would say at a final moment in a movie. And throughout the movie, it was kind of cute because she became a superhero. She was telling Thor, she's like, what should my battle cry be? Should it be like, eat my hammer or should it be this or that? It was really cute. So at the very end of the movie, when he's holding her and he's looking into her eyes and she's dying, she goes, hey, I think I figured out my battle cry. And Thor said, really? What is it? And she's like, come here, let me tell you. And she whispers in his ear. Now, according to the director, she never told anybody what it was. Chris Hemsworth knows what it is, but apparently he hasn't told anybody. Rumor has it that she whispered in his ear that her battle cry was going to be Shazam, which is why he laughed. <laughs> like his laugh is genuine. You could tell he's like, that's absolutely terrible. Why would you say that? So, you know, it's kind of a wink to, you know, DC's God of Thunder or what have you. Um, and Gore, the God Butch's daughter, comes back. But now it's at a loss because he ends up dying. And right before he dies, he kind of asks Thor for forgiveness. And he tells her, please watch over her. Promise me you'll watch over her. So, again, this is where I say that Thor is very much like Peter Parker. He just keeps losing. He lost Natalie Portman. He lost his father. His brother, he can't find, you know. I mean, he's in a multiverse somewhere. You know, his mother Frigga is dead. So Thor just keeps losing, but he keeps going forward. Which make him and Peter Parker, you know, in that sense, two of my favorite characters. The movie ends with him taking in the little girl and trying to raise her. And a lot of people that I know are like, oh, that was stupid, this and that. But I'm like, you know what? It's an evolution. You know, Thor is a man after all. And he's an adult. And it's an evolution he had. He wanted to be king. That failed. He 
was a warrior, you know, he tried to have a love interest that didn't pan out. So now he's going to be a dad. It's the evolution of life, you know? So I was kind of, I was like, okay, I was very forgiving to it. I was like, I could see this thing with him and the little girl, you know, why not? Tony Stark has his daughter and I'm sure she's going to come out later on. So it worked and the ending was very cute. And they're, they're the team called Thor love and thunder. That's it. And the movie ends. And we go from there. We go to a cutscene where Zeus is sitting down you know, patching up his, his bruises and he's pissed off that the gods would disrespect him like that, that Thor would come at him like that. So he decides to send his son down to fight and his son is none other than Hercules, played by some actor who I don't know. He's in Ted Lasso, but Hercules is in the Marvel comics and he's kind of like the Herb. You know, when I was growing up in, you know, in the back in the day, you called a Herb somebody who was like a, like a punk or somebody who was just stupid. You know, you didn't want to be around them. You always kind of made fun of them low key because he made fun of himself. You know, he was like an idiot. So this is where they're going now. So I was like, all right. Hmm. All right. Fine. It was a fun movie. Um, I did not expect much from it. I honestly thought it would be a lot worse, but I am at this point now completely like good with the funny Thor. Like, all right we've done it now two times let's get him back to what he does you could keep him like humorous but no more comedy no more screaming goats no more of that silly shit like make him now legit because baby we got shit coming up and the san diego comic con just dropped bits baby serious bits first and foremost fantastic four is a go Clearly, because we saw what happened with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Blade is a go. My man Daredevil is coming back to Disney+. Plus. She-Hulk is just around the corner August 7th, and I hope it does well. I really hope it does. They just wrapped up Miss Marvel. The last episode was not, I think, two weeks ago. Cute show. Very cute show. It played like a Nickelodeon iCarly kind of thing, and I guess that's what the purpose of it was. But that's who the character is. So I'm hoping that She-Hulk kind of fits its own profile that way. I enjoyed Miss Marvel. I did. I, You know, it was entertaining. And the lead character was an absolute sweetheart. She was so cute and she played it so well. So I'm hoping She-Hulk goes this route. But other than the TV shows, you have, what is it? Thunderbolt, Thunderbolts, Blade, The Fantastic Four. Uh, God, so many other movies, but the three things that just stopped time last weekend with San Diego Comic-Con, first off the trailer to Wakanda Forever. Let me tell you something right now. If you see that trailer and you don't have an emotional reaction to it, you may be a soulless individual and you may want to get that checked out because... Man, that shit hit hard. Not only that, but they introduced or they show the introduction finally of Namor the Submariner. And make no mistake, baby, this ain't Aquaman. With all due respect, Namor is the real fucking deal. He is Marvel's version of the Atlantean King. And I love the fact that I believe the actor is Mexican. He looks very like just central and South American. And it's just, it's, it's proper and it's appropriate. I honestly, when I was a little younger and he had just started coming out, I always wanted Keanu Reeves to play Namor the Submariner only because he looked like the comic book counterpart, but it makes so much more sense. Like what they did with Jason Momoa and Aquaman, the King of Atlantis is not going to have blonde hair and blue eyes and be as pale as, you know, an Anglo. I'm sorry. He's in water. He's in the sun. He should look like an Islander or as an indigenous person. You know what I mean? As an Aztec, it would make sense. And this dude who was playing Submariner, I've never met him. He came out in San Diego Comic-Con and he gave a beautiful speech about, you know, inclusion and, and why it's necessary. And he just looks 
fucking bad. He just looks like he's going to be a problem. You know, and it, it the, the trailer was beautifully done. You see Angela Bassett, you know, the original characters from the first Black Panther film. They show a mural of Chadwick Boseman, which is beautiful. And I'm telling you, man, Infinity War doesn't hit the same anymore. When Steve Rogers is walking and you hear, um, what's his name? Sam, the Falcon, go, Cap, can you hear me? On your left. When that portal opens up and T'Challa walks out and he takes his mask off and it's Chadwick Boseman, that shit hits different. It hits really, really different now. When we saw it in the movies, I mean, people got emotional because it's like, wow, Steve has backup. Nobody knew that Chadwick Boseman was sick. Boseman, excuse me. Now, knowing what we know, it's incredibly emotional. And the trailer to Wakanda Forever. And to make matters even more <laughs> emotional, the trailer runs to the song No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley, which is probably my my second favorite Bob Marley song of all time. And it was beautifully done. Go to YouTube. Check it out. Dissect the trailer so you could see, you know, the Submariner and everything else. And Marvel just confirmed what their two big Avengers films are going to be called. The first one is going to be called Avengers, the Kang Dynasty. Kang is a villain who is a multiverse villain and a time traveler. So he's been and seen just about everything. He is the quote unquote Dr. Doom of the future. So he's a problem. And he's also seen in Loki. So if you want to know who Kang is to get kind of a head start, watch Loki for the introduction. And you could look him up in Marvel, Wikipedia, or whatever you want. For lack of better words, he's a problem. And then the second Avengers movie. As I called a long time ago. Not to say I told you so. But I told you so. Avengers... Secret Wars. This is where shit goes down. Remember this podcast. Remember listening to this podcast because I'm going to say this now. If you thought Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame was a moment, a monumental moment in comic book films, Secret Wars, I'm sorry, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man, what is it, No Way Home? When the three Parkers come together, when the three Spider-Men come together, if you guys thought that that was incredible and life-changing and emotional, and it was, all of it was, get your fucking knickers on for Secret Wars. Remember I told you, remember I told you, remember I said this, I'm not even really calling on Kang's Dynasty. You're going to put all your chips on Secret Wars. And then we're going to talk and see if I was right or if I was right. Moving on. Um, that was about it. You guys can go to one of my favorite resources, IGN.com, for San Diego Comic Con and what else they dropped. They dropped a bunch of stuff. Um, I feel sorry for the DC Universe, man. I do. I really wish... And I wanted to save a couple of minutes to talk about this. I, I really wish they had somebody there who knew what the fuck they were doing. Because they're just all over the place with their universe. And it's now beyond frustrating. This is something I don't understand. They still, and people literally booed at Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Because they had asked, is Henry Cavell coming back as Superman? And the you know Dwayne Johnson kind of hmm and hot and well he's a Superman of our generation is that bro yes or no is he coming back or not because people want to see him Henry Cavell next to Christopher Reeve was pretty much a perfect Superman his acting was wooden at times but he had potentials Man of Steel is still one of their absolute best movies in that brand in the DC brand. That's connected to that whole thing. Wonder Woman and Man of Steel. And 
they can't even get that right. The Flash movie is in turmoil because Ezra Miller, they've lost their shit. He doesn't know whether he's coming or going. He's getting into a fight with police. He's kind of pseudo-kidnapping people. You know, so now they don't know what to do with the movie. You know, and it's Ben Affleck is in it as Batman for the last time. Michael Keaton is coming back as the original Batman. You know, Aquaman 2 is supposed to come out. Black Adam looks uh, okay. And to be honest... People are starting to get Dwayne Johnson fatigue. And honestly, what good is it if he's not going to fight Superman? Right? And then Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods. It just... The first Shazam was fun. It wasn't great. It wasn't perfect. But it was fun because he's a kid with the power of a superhero. And he stays a, he stays with the mentality of a kid even though he's... In a man's body when he screams Shazam. And he gets hit with lightning. But it's like they cannot get their shit together. They just fucking can't. And it's sickening. You guys have had properties and film properties. Warner Brothers has owned DC for quite a while. What are you doing? Why are you Why are you not putting Shazam and Black Adam together now? I don't want to see Shazam fight with his brothers, brothers and sisters against some gods that don't matter. Lucy Liu and what's this other actress? Helen Mirren, who I love. Don't get me wrong. They're great actresses. But I don't care about them. Put Shazam against fucking Black Adam. Let Black Adam mop the floor with them. Move forward into another film where they fight again. Bring Superman into the mix. You know, get a new Flash. Fuck Ezra Miller. I'm sorry, but if you know what? You want to live your life your way? Good luck, bro. God bless. Go do your thing. Let something happen. He runs off the speed force and he runs into oblivion and he disintegrates. Bring another Barry Allen or bring Wally West. You have another Flash. Bring in fucking Wally West. Not only that, but it's infuriating. How many other characters does DC have that they are not making movies about? The Green Lantern alone. Put your resources into that. The Green Lantern core is some shit like Star Trek. It's a superhero who's like, Star Trek, they have multiple Green Lanterns. There's a Green Lantern for every planet in the universe. Do you know how many stories that could generate? And they're not doing this? Martian Manhunter, you save him for the end of Justice League, and that's it. Bring him the fuck back. You're bringing in Dr. Fate and Hawkeye into Black Adam. Okay, but ultimately for what? Where is Green Arrow? One of your top rated shows for the longest time on the fucking CW. Make a movie about this guy. What are you doing? Plastic Man. Bring Plastic Man into the mix for Christ's sake. Your second Wonder Woman movie was critically destroyed. And we haven't heard shit about a third Wonder Woman movie. So it's like DC, uh, w, Warner Brothers is shooting themselves in the foot or they're purposely sabotaging their properties. And it's like there's no coming out of it. Their animated movies are insane. Their animated movies are phenomenal, particularly the Batman ones. But their movie properties are fucking shit. You make a, a, a you finish a Justice League movie for the f- sake of finishing it, then you give the director who did it another chance to do it. He makes it four hours long, and three out of the four hours is everything in slow motion. Maldita sea la madre. I'm sorry, but. I had to let it out in Spanish for a second because it's DC's infuriating me. They had nothing to show for San Diego Comic Con. But we'll talk about that another time because I have literally 28 seconds on the clock. Guys, you know I love you, right? I know I say it a lot, but I think I don't say it enough. I love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to uh, hear me ramble about DC and how they suck. (laughs) And what my thoughts on Thor were. Check it out. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a fun movie, so definitely check it out. But I will see you on the next episode of Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. Thank you for listening. Take care. See you soon.